you have to be patient but you also have to be ambitious because yeah. sometimes sometimes you, you run into people who are just too patient and they get stagnant and they spend five years doing the same thing. So it's a balance between being patient and act and thinking and acting small, but also being ambitious and just causing yourself to be like held accountable to, to grow that thing 50, 100% every year over a five or 10 year period of time. So it's both. It's not or it's not like be super patient. It'll happen. No, that's bad advice. It's like be patient and grind. Uh, and 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 then over a five-year t- period of time, you can build something. I, I think this, particularly this new generation of of entrepreneurs, they're almost a little too impatient, and the idea of the of the pivot uh, has gotten romanticized. And it's like they're just pivoting from one thing to the other, and it's like over three years they've pivoted seven times. And if they just stuck with like one of those things for for three or four or five years, they they could have built something. So it's I think it's both. It's 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 be patient, but also just work your ass off and 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 hold yourself accountable to 50, 100% year, year over year growth. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Hello, everybody. Jeff Chastain here with the Building to Scale podcast, where I get the opportunity really to speak with all different kinds of entrepreneurial business leaders and influencers, just hearing their their stories of both challenges and successes. It's always an interesting one to hear a new story, just because so many times we've got many of the business challenges that we all deal with, but the the journey to get to that point is is always different. It's always been a a different path. So today with me, I've got Brian Clayton with Green Pal out of Tennessee. So Brian, welcome to the, the show and thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day here to talk with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. So at least what we were talking about briefly beforehand and what I was reading. So you went from basically a, a lawn cutting, lawn uh, landscaping business to now a technology firm. So tell us a little bit about GreenPal and kind of what you got going on these days. Yeah, so uh, GreenPal is the Uber for lawn mowing. So it is a technology-enabled marketplace, connects buyers and sellers. It connects homeowners that need to have their grass cut with people who make a living mowing yards. And so we've been at this eight years. Uh, I guess you could say we're an eight-year overnight success. Uh, We've got several hundred thousand people using the app to get their grass cut, doing $20 million plus a year in, in revenue through the platform. And, uh, and, and just focus on one thing, making, getting the yard mode as easy as possible. And just, and, and, and on the other side of the transaction, enabling hardworking lawn mowing services, an opportunity to have a platform to plug into, to grow their business. Before Green Pie, I actually had a lawn mowing business, believe it or not. I, I was cutting grass in high school as a way to make extra cash. And I just stuck with a little lawn mowing business all through high school, all through college. And then over a 15-year period of time, I grew that to one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live, got it over 150 employees, over $10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, I was able to navigate the acquisition process and and get the company acquired by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. So I guess I learned a lot about the industry over those 15 years and how it works and where the gaps were and where technology can make it run smoother and easier. And and I applied all of that into GreenPal to make it the, the Uber for lawn mowing. Yeah, it's interesting to see, obviously, how how technology keeps invading practically every little 
avenue every little little part of business these days kind of things you think of okay lawn mowing landscaping that's just manual labor and, and now we're tying it into obviously technology and apps and stuff like that because it's it's just like i said just curious seeing how, how it keeps evolving there but um specifically on your story like that i, I a lot of times that's kind of I, I see very rarely you have the the entrepreneurial business leader that says hey i just want to go start a business most of the time it's Typically, a an experience or something you've had a, a challenge you've dealt with that. Say, okay, let's go solve that problem. So, what was kind of that? And I guess really, you started. You said you started already, kind of in the entrepreneurial space with the original landscaping company before you started that one. But what what's what's your what's your entrepreneurial kind of drive, or what what got you into the entrepreneurial side there? Yeah. So. You know, when I started mowing yards, I didn't have this like grand vision to be a lawn guy my entire life, but it just, just one of those things that kept growing and I kept working hard on it and I kept, you know, was able to hire employees and, and do things to help them get where they were trying to go in life. And, and I was able to, to just have a lot of fun building that first business. And, and I, and I learned really quick, I was wired to love business. I was wired to love growing companies. And, and when I sold that business, I learned something about myself that, that uh, my business is the thing that offers me purpose. It's the thing that lends me like a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It's the thing that causes me to keep moving forward in life in general. And, and uh, when that was missing, I, I thought, wow, this, I didn't really realize how much I was getting out of running a business. And, and I was like, I need to get back in the game. I need to get back in the arena. So I didn't really have plans to start the second company so quickly, but it wasn't about three months after selling the first one that I decided, okay, I got to get back in the game. And uh, so that's when the idea for green pal was, was one that kind of had in the back of my head. I, 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 you know, I always knew that an app needed to exist for this particular industry. I saw what Uber and Airbnb and Lyft were doing. And I was like, okay, something needs to exist for, for this particular space. And, uh, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to start another company, but this time I want to start a software enabled company. I want to start a tech company because that will be easier than what I just spent 15 years doing. Uh, because what I spent 15 years doing was managing people, equipment, trucks, and customers. It was like every day was organized chaos. I was like, okay, this time I want to start a tech company because that'll be easier. That's an easier thing. And what I, Luckily, I didn't know what I didn't know, <laughs> and uh, luckily, I was naive because uh, if I known everything uh, that I that I know today, uh, I probably would have been too scared to get started. So, but you know, I just recruited two co-founders who who also had a lot of ambition and and had a chip on their shoulder to do something great with their life, and we just went to work hard on this thing, and and uh, we were quickly confronted with the daunting reality of how hard it is to to build a technology product from scratch, basically inventing a new thing that does not yet exist and and on top of all that developing a marketplace around something is really tough and on top of all that we didn't even know how to code and so it's like it took three <laughs> years of just like working on ourselves learning how to build software uh you know iterating and just just through trial and error figure out what the hell would work until we really got something going and and the only reason we're still here today you know is because we didn't give up and, and we're we're literally a, a seven or eight year overnight success it's taken us a long time we finally have a good home profitable business going that that's helping thousands of people. Yeah, I, I, I laugh because technology is my background. So you're sitting there saying, yeah, jump into a technology business. It'll be nice and easy. And yeah, <laughs> you, you just traded one set of challenges for another. So you did. 
much more complexity, uh, much harder. And a lot of people under index on the, the idea of you're inventing. Most of the time when you're starting a tech company, you're inventing something brand new that does not yet exist. And that's really hard. No matter if you're building a physical product or a, or a software product or whatever, when you're inventing something brand new, you're kind of having to like forge your way through the unknown. And the only way to do that is just through experimentation and, and like moving from one failure to another without a loss of enthusiasm. And uh, that's really tough. But once you figure out something that works, what they call product market fit, then you can kind of move a little quicker. But uh, there's no shortcuts to, to, to going through that trial and error process. No, and I think that, honestly, I, I see, I've seen it a lot in technology, but I think that's pretty much the way any business. It's obviously landscaping. It's a little bit more proven over time. It's, it's a lawnmower. It's, it's, a, it's a weed eater kind of thing. It's, for that matter, even like you said, it's, it's managing people. You're, you've been there a little bit beforehand, but at the same time, you're still having to reinvent and figure out, okay, how do we do things? How do we grow in the business still, even at that point? Because you obviously went through that twice. So I'm curious, what what's were there any parallels in terms of the, the people side, growing the business, et cetera, between the two that you were able to, to draw on? Or was it really a complete reinvention there on the second time around? Uh, a lot of parallels, uh, but a lot, of, but uh, on the other hand, completely different. Um, so the lawn mowing business is great for anybody because it's a great way to like cut your teeth on business ownership. Anybody can get into the lawn mowing business. Uh, it's very low barriers to entry, and there's like principles and 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 uh, fundamentals that apply to running a successful landscaping company that apply to basically every business. You know, organization, bookkeeping, customer service, marketing, all of these things like you have to do in the landscaping business in order to to get. Any anything going. And really it's a good, you can learn those things and apply them to, to any business. And so, so those things certainly did, did transfer. Um, uh, and also, but, but, but more high level things like a relentless focus on your customer and making it easy for your customers to, to contact you and speak with you to let you know where they're, where they're pissed off. Um, constantly figuring out ways to do better than your competition. The lawn mowing business is, is, uh, is really competitive and built. And, and, and so the economics are tough and, and if you're building a marketplace for lawn mowing, guess what? Those, that, those realities transfer as well. And so constantly looking at the marketplace and figuring out how do you build something differentiated how do you build something that's 10 times better than the status quo because if you don't figure that out then you won't ever you won't ever get any sort of traction and so those things did transfer um but where where there was a lot of uh a, a lot of drop off and things i had to kind of learn from scratch was was i you know when i when i was building my landscaping company there were other big landscaping companies in other cities that I could kind of study. Uh, you know, I was in Nashville. And so I remember every year there was a big conference and I would go to this conference and I would look at these large landscaping companies that were doing 30, 40, $50 million a year in revenue. My little business might've been doing three or four at the time. And I thought, okay, I can learn from these guys and I can steal some of their processes and I can like implement some of their, their, their routines into my business. And, and that was great. And that was one way I was able to level that business up. There is no, there isn't a lot of that parallel when you're start, when you're inventing a brand new product from scratch like we did with GreenPal. Uh, we we tried we we did do a little bit with it in terms of studying uh you know uh, Postmates, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Lyft, uh, Wag, Rover. These are all like multi-sided peer-to-peer marketplaces. We did try to borrow a lot from what they were doing, um, but there was no app just for lawn mowing that we could look to and say, okay, let's copy them but do it better. Yeah. Uh, and so, and so that was, that was something I didn't understand how hard that was going to be and how many, just quite frankly, years, uh, years of just 
is trial and error it was going to take. I didn't know that day one. And, uh, and the only way you can kind of learn is just to get in there and, and start and start trying stuff and failing and learning from your mistakes and keeping going, keep moving forward, not give up and be willing to dedicate five, 10, 15 years to it. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. Very rarely do you have the, the overnight success of business kind of a thing there that it's a, it's a constant growing process, constant evolution that even Very if you rare. did go out the bait, out, out the uh, gate right there with it right off the bat, especially in technology, you probably would have reinvented it three times by now anyways. So. Yes. And, and one thing I've learned over the last eight years is when you do see those things that kind of appear like overnight successes, what you don't realize is, is that that founder or that founding team is like on their third or fourth failure of something else that nobody ever knew about. And it's like the thing that worked was like what they applied all of that knowledge to and all of those lessons to, to the thing that worked. So it's not, you're not looking at three or four or five years. You're usually looking at like a 10 or a 15 year journey that that founder has been through. And in, in 99% of the cases, there's no shortcut for any of that. You know, you, you have to go through those, those, those trials and errors, like, you know, like, like take Uber, for example, you know, that was Travis Kalanick's third or fourth company. Uh, and, and it still took 12 years to build that company. And so this stuff takes time and you got to be patient. Yeah. No, I, I even go back to like the, the HP days, you look at that big, huge corporation kind of thing. It's like Hewlett and Packard, two, two guys started out of the garage kind of a thing there. It, it's, it, they didn't pop onto the scene fully baked kind of a thing like that. It took a lot yeah. of time, a lot of, a lot of trial and error, stuff like that. And you can't turn it into that, but it's not, it's not an overnight success. And it's really that, that persistence that comes into play for sure. You have to be patient, but you also have to be ambitious because yeah. sometimes, sometimes you, you run into people who are just too patient and they get stagnant and they spend five years doing the same thing. So it's a balance between being patient and act and thinking and acting small, but also being ambitious and just, causing yourself to be like held accountable to, to grow that thing 50, hundred percent every year over a five or 10 year period of time. So it's both, it's not, or it's not like be super patient. It'll happen. No, that's bad advice. It's like be patient and grind. Uh, and, 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 and then over a five year t- period of time, you can build something. I, I think this, particularly this new generation of, of entrepreneurs, they're almost a little too impatient. And the idea of the, of the pivot uh, has gotten romanticized. And it's like, they're just pivoting from one thing to the other. And it's like over three years, they've pivoted seven times. And if they just stuck with like one of those things for, for three or four or five years, they, they could have built something. So it's, I think it's both. It's, it's, it's be patient, but also just work your ass off and, 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 and hold yourself accountable to 50, 100% year, year over year growth. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I was on actually just a, with a, a podcast guest earlier and was talking about, okay, the the idea that, okay, we're just going to keep jumping from market to market. We, we, we've, got, we're, we've got a footprint in this market, so now we're going to jump to the next one instead of saying, okay, let's go deep into this market. Let's actually entrench ourselves into it. Let's build more value here before we jump to the next market. Instead of being so wide, let's actually go deeper with it. And it just takes that time and that persistence to do it. But at the same time, you got a lot more value. You got a lot, you're a lot more entrenched with those customers such that they're not going to, your, your competition is not going to steal them away as easy kind of thing because you've got a much deeper relationship with them. And that just takes the time to build it. I think, yeah, uh, for me, going deep is the best strategy. If you go wide, then you're kind of not really the best at anything. Although there are cases of, of people 
of founders pulling it off. Uh, but I mean, in my opinion, the best strategy is to go deep on one thing, be the best in the world at one thing, or the best in your market at one thing. It doesn't matter if you have a coffee shop or, uh, or, a, or a hair salon or a construction company, or if you're trying to build a tech product, like what we're talking about here, you have to be the best in your market at one thing to, to build a, a successful business around it. And if you don't focus and go deep, you won't, you won't, be the best. And, and so, and the other thing too, is how you communicate that value proposition to people who don't necessarily know what it is you do. Like the human brain is wired to avoid complexity. It only wants to understand things that are super clear, super under, super easy to understand. Like in less than three seconds, like somebody needs to understand where am I, what can I do here and why does it matter? And unless you are just focused on one use case, it's, it's almost impossible to, to communicate that so quickly. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I always, that's what's one of the things I typically work with clients on is getting that vision and that little statement clear, because really you want your entire team bought in on that. You want your entire team to sit there and be your sales force effectively kind of a thing. And if you've got so wide that somebody asks them, hey, what's what's your company do? And they can't figure it out. It's, you got 10 different divisions here doing 10 different products. It, it dilutes that resource for sure. Yeah, you, you're exactly right. It, it matters to your customers and it also matters to your team. Like everybody on the team needs to be able to answer, like, what am I doing here and why does it matter? And, and, and why do we do what we do? And if it's not like crystal clear what this organization does and, and what its goals are, then, then it, and everybody, it, it gets fragmented and diluted. And it's hard to like have everybody focused on that one thing and to be the best in the market at it. So that's my personal philosophy on, on, on business building is like focus, focus, focus on just one use case, be the best at that one thing and just kick your competition's butt on that one thing. That's can, that, that is what can help you build a successful business. Yeah. So talking about the people side there with, with getting everybody in, on board, what's been your kind of journey with that in terms of building out your team, building out your organization, especially on the second uh, go round here with Green Power, it's, it wasn't necessarily your expertise in, in technology. Well, what's been your kind of what's what's been your your path, your journey right there and getting from you said three people, I guess, initially with Green Pal up to 20 some odd now and the, the Lawn Scott company before was even bigger than that. Yeah, it's uh you know that's one of the hardest things in business is, is getting the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus. You know, like that that's that Jim Collins quote from Good the Good to Great. And for me, what I've learned the second time around, the first time. I, I just, you know, I just got whoever I could get and I suffered a lot of average players. And what I didn't really realize what was happening over time was, was like B and C players attract B and C players and they, and they, they, they scare off and ward off A players. And so I didn't understand that in the first, in the first business. So in the second business, I, I, I began to like understand that, you know, okay, well, I can't necessarily hire the best talent right now because I don't have the money for it. Uh, but what I can do is I can hire them for like one hour a week. And what I learned was it's better to have the best for one hour a week or, or five hours a month than it is to have somebody who's average or not really good for 40 hours a week. And, and so today you can fractionally hire people uh, and, 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 and hire them for an, on an a la carte basis. Um, 
and and bring in the best for what you can afford and not have to suffer people who just aren't necessarily good or motivated or driven to do whatever it is you want and what, whatever it is the company needs needs done. And so I learned that the hard way this time around it, it, that has what has worked. You know, we bootstrapped this business from zero revenue. And so in the early days, like we couldn't hire the best engineers, uh, but we could hire like a really, really, really good engineer for like one hour a week to, to guide everything else we were doing. And then as time went on, we could pay them to do more and more and more to where we eventually could get them on full time. The same for a CMO, CMO or CFO or CPO, you know, all of these people, like if you can hire the best for just a fractional amount of time, it's a lot better than just hiring somebody fresh out of school for 40 hours a week. So that's yeah, a that's, tactical thing that, that I've learned, you know, running two different companies. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And it's, I've seen a lot more of the, the fractional kind of side really appearing on the market here. Granted, people have been doing it, but that, that terminology and that kind of, uh, Exposure has really shown up a lot more. We I talked with a, a, a fractional COO. Uh, I'm trying to remember which episode it was now a while back, kind of a thing there, but just that kind of same mentality of saying, hey, bring somebody in. Honestly, as a startup, I don't know that you even need a, you don't need a CFO. You don't need a CMO or anything like that. Right. But like you said, having that expertise just for five, 10 hours, kind of a thing there still can can help you move forward without having like I said, the full-time salary that honestly you don't even necessarily need, even if you could afford it kind of a thing. Uh, absolutely. And that's the thing that can get you from like seven figures to eight figures. That's the thing that can get you from six figures to seven figures is bringing on really like high level, like NFL level talent at a fractional, at a fractional basis into your business. You can't necessarily form, afford them full-time, but you can't afford them for one hour a week. That exposes all sorts of of high level things and, and high leverage things that your business needs to be doing. And that wasn't a, a, a play that you could run 10 years ago. I mean, maybe, but you didn't really have the virtual tools that we have today and the platforms that we have today to where you can find these people and, and, and hire them on a fractional basis. So that's like a, a tactical thing that, that I've learned over the last 20 years. The other thing is, is no matter what you're delegating, you need to have some sort of like basic like 80-20 mastery of it. So it's it's almost impossible to like delegate engineering work and and software development unless you have done some sort of software development yourself. Otherwise you don't know what to what the what the what to scope it out as. You don't know what to expect. You don't know how to hold people accountable. You don't know if you have somebody that's good or somebody who's not good. And so it you have to have some sort of basic level of acumen in in almost everything. And that way you can you can delegate it from a position of 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 stewardship and not one of abdication. And like one that constantly happens is, is bookkeeping. Like nobody wants to do bookkeeping. Nobody wants to do accounting. And so like, they're just like scared of it. And it's like, here, you handle it, you handle it. And the next thing you know, is like, there's no money in the bank. And so you, like, you have to start off doing your own bookkeeping. So then you can delegate it from a, from a standpoint of stewardship and not of you handle it. That makes me scared. Like you don't ever want to be delegating stuff that you don't have some sort of basic acumen with. Yeah, no, I, I perfectly agree and been there, done that before plenty of times kind of a thing. But it's, yeah, you talk about the bookkeeping. It's like, yeah, just having somebody keep the books is one thing, but you got to still understand your basic financial statements, things like that, to know that profit and loss and things like that, not just what the bank account balance is right there. So it's it's more and numbers. The, is. <laughs> and the bookkeeping is a good example because we've all been there, but that dynamic applies to everything. It applies to your marketing, your copywriting, you know, whatever, uh, whatever customer service you're doing, uh, whatever product design you're doing, uh, legal, 
everything. You have to like get, uh, I think it's called the Pareto principle, 80-20 good at all of these things where, where you are like working on 20% of the stuff that gives you 80% of the mastery. You have to be like average at all this stuff in order to be able to delegate it. Yeah, no, it's that. And I, I, I tie that back to so many different areas with process development and other stuff like that. But it's still, it's, it's, it's really a key there because you, you, you need to know what's going on in the company. But at the same time, hopefully, like you said earlier with the, the fractional people, you're hiring people that are honestly smarter, better than you are in their expertise that exactly probably don't have you out writing code or anything these days at this point. There's, there's probably developers that have got a little bit more expertise in that area than you do. But in the early days, it was me writing code and I would write code and then I would go write a blog post and then I would like do some stuff in Photoshop and then I would go do like some social media stuff is like, you know, and, and it wasn't just me it was my two co-founders kind of like we were we were half good at all this stuff. But then we, we brought in people who were really good who could kind of guide that stuff. Yeah. Like, OK, no, no, no. This is how is, you know, writing back in Ruby on Rails code is like. Okay, now nah, well, actually what you need to do is this, this, and this. And, and that one hour from that guy who has 10 or 15 years experience saved us months of doing the wrong stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's really the key I, I look at is whether it's technology like that or just anytime some kind of a board of directors, an outside advisor, an outside coach, anything like that. Right. They, they've been down the path. They've, they've, they've climbed that mountain before right. you. And just a, a little bit of course correction to say, hey, why are you doing that? Why don't you don't turn left here, turn right. Exactly. Can make huge difference right there. Huge, and just the fact that you can huge. get the so get the high leverage. So high leverage. Yep. So I'm curious, longer term vision kind of a thing. What's 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 the the five year, the 10 year kind of kind of plan look like for, for Green Pal? Yeah. So like I said, we're eight years in. It's just now actually getting fun running this business. Uh, we've got a really good team that that we're just crushing all of our goals and we're growing like 100% year over year. So it's it's actually fun now, you know, whereas for four or five years, it was a slog. Uh, and so it's easy to look back and say, wow, look how far we've come, you know, like 200,000 some odd people are using this app. But uh, it really, it doesn't feel that way. It feels like day one all the time because you, you are constantly like confronted with, yeah, you know, we're doing well, but it's still a $99 billion industry. And like we, you know, we barely scratched the surface of it. And so we have a long way to go in terms of, of, of distributing the platform into the hands of consumers to, to basically have this as the default way you get this one chore done. And uh, until we're like in the, in the camp of like an Uber, a, a Instacart or a Airbnb or a Lyft, like we're, we're not done. We got a long way to go. But you're still still basically focused purely on the the lawn, lawn care, landscaping, et cetera, kind of, like I said, going deep right there instead of branching out yeah, wide. Yes. Uh, and, and, the, and the reason is, is because we have so much further to go and we have so and not just in terms of distribution, but also in making the experience better, smoother, more reliable, cheaper, faster, more delightful, uh, enabling service providers to make even more money with things like route density and more efficiency with how they run their business. So we have so much more like value that we can, we can deliver and to our user base on top of expansion, just in terms of more households using it. And so until we see like that point of diminishing returns where it's like, okay, we're, we're saturated. We can't, we can't go any further, which I don't think will ever happen. Uh, we're, we're probably not going to move into any other adjacent markets because we have so much further to go on the one thing we're the best in the world at. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, the route distribution thing actually, because you think of normally the kid out mowing the lawns or whatever, he's just, there's no thought behind that or whatever. He's doing it random, but that's costing you money, obviously kind of a thing. And probably that's still right. even happens at a, a smaller size, small to even mid-sized kind of company there that just those basic level efficiencies kind of a thing that they can put into place 
can can matter a lot. So that makes That's a lot of exactly sense. That's exactly right. So I'm curious there, um, in terms of growing your company and things like that, and and really, I, actually, I'm going to backtrack just for a second because you mentioned moving forward with from a technology perspective, and the reality is, even let's say eight years ago, from a technology perspective, we had all sorts of difference. Even the platforms, the mobile phone stuff like that, was completely different. So, if anything, your reinvention is going to be still just following along with technology. Okay, well, what else is technology going to bring us that we can get into an opportunity with right there? So that's that's going to be, that's always the one when I'm talking to technology firms is like the, the longer term vision in some ways is kind of trying to stay ahead of that technology wave is, okay, what's the new functionality coming? What's the new possibilities coming? Because things you might've envisioned said eight years ago, not even, not even on the same roadmap kind of a thing as to where we are today. Yeah, you know, when you're, it's obvious when you're a tech business, you have to constantly, you know, we, we rebuild this product almost every year. You're constantly rebuilding it with the latest technology. You're constantly making it smart, uh, faster, smarter. You're using the data that you have at your disposal to, to, to improve the experience for people that are using the product. Uh, you know, one example for us is, is we, we use data at a zip code level to understand, okay, this vendor has seven different customers already in, in that, uh, in that zip code let's let's give him first crack at it and just understanding like okay this how can we leverage the data uh to make better decisions and i don't want to throw out the word ai but like getting closer to like an artificial intelligence type of experience um and and that wasn't something that we could even think about eight ten years ago and so to your point as things get get more quicker as 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 bandwidth gets better and like 5g gets gets ubiquitous uh, there's all sorts of things that we can do uh to make this still make the one thing smoother faster quicker cheaper uh and using technology and to, to do that you know when we first started our, building our first mobile app it was really really tough eight years ago today you know with things like react native it's a lot easier to roll out a mobile app and it's a lot easier to get developers to to do things uh, to make it better and make it faster so as that as that accelerates and as that as that gets stronger and stronger as the years come you know it, it kind of almost in a way makes our job a little easier and and another another kind of aspect of our business is it's not going glamorous. It's not sexy, not a whole lot of people looking at it. And, and so I think there's like correlation between the least glamorous your idea, the better your chances of success. And so that certainly has been the case for us. We've been able to work on this thing basically unbothered for, for eight years without some, you know, hugely funded company trying to yank the rug out from under us. We've been able to be methodical about it, just go slow and low and build a profitable business. Oh, and there's, there's definitely truth to that, that you don't have to go out and completely reinvent the wheel, reinvent the world right there. You don't have to be the necessarily the super shiny object right there. It's it's just right. coming in and solving a need more than anything. And that's right. that's that's an area right there that there's always there's always plenty of needs out there. You don't have to come up with you don't have to go land a, a man on the moon kind of a thing here that we're just gonna make it easier for you to find your lanes your lawn mowing service. That's right. And and uh you know, for every Uber that, that breaks out, there's a thousand uh even funded uh startups that didn't make it. And so for me, like the best strategy, the best chances of success is self-funded, using revenue to fund the, the growth of the company and focusing on something that not everybody else is looking at. And it may not be glamorous, but if you can just focus on making that one thing a lot easier for people that need to get it done, uh, then, then you can build something meaningful. Yeah, no, it, it makes perfect sense. So I'm curious with, and we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but still diving in a little bit more, going from the, the original three to now 20 plus kind of employees, what is your personal role 
kind of changed that I, I know you said you had you needed to have expertise in all areas, but what's I'm, I'm assuming you're probably not down writing a whole bunch of code these days that you're stepping up a little bit higher level with that, with, with growing the team. Yeah. I think, you know, you look back at, I've looked back at 20 years of business. I think it's, it, for me, one thing that's made sense to look at it like a video game almost. And, and like, you know, 10 levels of super Mario world and like, just try to get through one level at a time. So level one is me and my co-founders doing everything. And then level two might be okay. Well, now we got a hundred K a year in revenue and now maybe we can hire like one person to help us with something. And then, and then, you know, level four or five, it's like, okay, now we have like three developers, but I'm still, I'm still like acting as the, as the, the CTO and I'm still doing product design and you get further along and you can, you can slowly peel your, name off some of the roles and, and delegate them to people that are just better at it than you are who can focus on it and do it better than you and as time goes on as you move through levels of the video game uh you you can build out that team around you and it's a combination of working like on the business and in the business and as time goes on you know when you first start you're like 99 in it one percent on it and i think at the end of the at the end of the game you might it might be inverted you're you're like 99 on it one percent in it and so to your point yeah i don't write any more code uh and, and at that point where 20 some odd employees you know eight figures in revenue the ceo doesn't need to be writing code um but that that is a trap that a lot of ceos kind of fall into is like they can't let go of that and they're not thinking high leverage they're not thinking okay what is where can i have the highest impact so i think as the founder as a ceo the owner of your business and as you progress through the levels and stages of, of getting it going that you need to be looking at things that only the ceo can do only the CEO can set the culture. Uh, only the CEO can like look at the competitive landscape and, and, and set the strategy on, on how you're going to differentiate yourself. Only the CEO can allocate capital wisely and understand, okay, no, we're not going to spend 200K or, or, or 2 million on, on this thing. We're going to do it on this thing. Like that's the CEO's job is, is to set the culture, set the strategy and almost be like a capital allocator to understand this is what's flowing into the business and this is how we're going to redeploy it back to work. Yeah, it makes sense, and obviously, but yeah, I, I hear a lot of people talking about the delegation aspect and the challenge of it. But I've never necessarily heard anybody go from the 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 video game kind of aspect because it makes a lot of sense. You can't go from level one straight to level ten, and that's what a lot of people would like to do. Is I just want to I want to go up there and be the working on the business all the time, or I want to get out of the trenches. It's like, well, at the same time, you got to build there. You can't business right. doesn't typically happen overnight just because even you try to jumpstart it with outside capital or stuff like that, it, it might make you progress through those levels a little bit faster. But at the same time, you still got to go through those levels no matter what and start start that transition, start that journey there. Because if you try to jumpstart it, I think you're probably going to skip some steps, skip some issues and cause more problems down the road. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It's really hard to shortcut those things. And, and to, you know, like we were talking about earlier, it's like, the, the, the founders that you see that kind of mysteriously or, or uh, seemingly skip those levels, a lot of times they're on their second, third, or fourth try. And yeah. a lot of times they've already crashed and burned. And so they're able to kind of use that experience to go a little quicker. And so I think if you're, particularly if you're just getting started, this is your first first time around, you have to go through those levels. And and and, and these aren't, this isn't like a static like thing that I've codified, but like like metaphorically, you have to go through the different levels and, and progress through and like get the scar tissue that comes with each one of them. And that way you can level up. And then, and 
and then as a capital capital allocator kind of aspect of the of the founder, then if then you could put a million dollars to work more wisely because you understand, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to get return out of it. This is what we're going to expect. Whereas if you try to do that flat footed, like in level one, you, you're probably just going to like waste it all. And so that's yeah. what happens to a lot of overfunded startups. They just they try to move too fast. They don't have the experience, and it's like it's like attaching like rocket boosters on the side of a barn, and it just doesn't it just doesn't take off. It blows apart. Yeah, no, I've, I've been involved with those as well, the, whether it's outside funding, whether it's a business loan, something like that, all of a sudden you got some cash sitting there to deal with. And yeah, if you don't have a, if you don't have the expertise, if you don't have the history, if you don't have a good strategic plan on it there, it's real easy to sit there and blow through it all and say, okay, now where are we? We, we still, we're still on level one, even though we've blown all the cash. Yeah. Yeah. Not, maybe not in the even worse, like you're on, you, you, you're on level one, but you're further behind because now you now you've got this debt that you have to service, or you've got these investors that, that have misaligned expectations who are going to take control from you. If you don't if you don't put that capital, uh, whether it be investment capital or debt capital, to work wisely, it can spell doom for your business. Yeah. So since we're right there, I always like kind of coming back and and, and wrapping things up at the end, just saying, hey, if you were to look back eight years or so in your case, kind of a thing here, or even further with the previous business and say, Hey, if we'd just done what, what was some of the, what was some of the scar tissue, some of the lessons learned there that you might've come up with, might've done things a little bit differently if you had a third chance at it now. Yeah. You know, have a, have a bias to delegate a little quicker uh, is, is, is the advice I would give myself eight years ago, uh, because I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I was kind of uh, beholden to like, hold on to, to things a little too long. And, and so I would, I would encourage myself and others, like the minute you get some sort of acumen and you're doing things on a daily basis and maybe for a week, a month, a year, whatever it is, and you, and you understand, okay, this is how I can develop some sort of scope of work and delegate this to somebody to do it a lot better than me. And you have the capital to do it, do it, move quick. And then you can move on to the next thing. A book that, that uh, can help you start thinking about that is, you know, you might, it may not, may not be obvious, but it's called the four hour work week. You know, that book is not about working four hours a week. That book is about delegation, automation, writing scopes of work and figuring out ways in the early days of your business to, to offload things to people who can focus on them. That would be a piece of advice I would give myself in like year one or two of starting Green Pal is like, okay, look for opportunities to delegate things quicker. So then, then me as the founder can, can, can be getting more high leverage with what I'm doing with my time. Yeah, no, that's that's the one I hear regularly from entrepreneurial kind of business leaders is the the idea of delegation and like you said, delegating quicker kind of a thing. Cause it's in some respects it's hard to delegate because it's especially if it's your lane of expertise kind of a thing there that hey, this is what I like to do, kind of a thing. Whereas what you said, CEO at some point has got to step above that and and be looking at the bigger picture rather than downwriting code. Yeah, if if you have dreams of growing your business to eight or nine figures, you have to think high leverage with your time. And and it's it's not like delegation just for uh you know the 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 from the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That what he talks about in that book is delegate from from stewardship and not abdication. So it's like, okay, I'm I am bringing you on to take this role, and here is what we expect. Here's the role. Here's the goals. Here's how we do it here. That's this is why we do it here. And like you're codifying that into a training process, and like delegating it from a standpoint of stewardship, not oh, I hate doing that. And I don't even know how to do it. You handle it. That's a recipe for disaster. So, yeah. so, it's, so it's, it's delegation, but doing it wisely. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure there. So I appreciate the time. It's It's been really good conversation. So if I would say it's probably pretty obvious here, but if people want to go learn more about Green Pal, where's the, where's the best place for them to go learn more, more about the company and about you? Yeah, yeah. If you want to spend less time cutting your grass and more time company building, uh, you can download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store. Get hooked up with a great lawn mowing service at the touch of a button. Anybody wants to reach me, just hit me up on LinkedIn. I've been hanging out there a lot more lately. Great. Yeah, no, we'll definitely will. And yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's, it's, it's nice in the spring right now when it's 70s to be out there mowing it. But come July and August when it's 110 down here, I yeah, don't, don't want to be out there mowing the lawn for sure life's too short <laughs> yep, yep, for sure so i appreciate the time and we'll definitely get all this the links and everything down below but best of wishes moving forward and continue to grow thanks jeff i appreciate it thank you thanks for listening to this episode of the building to scale podcast if you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story please visit building to scale.com slash guest If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.